Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. Okay, we are back. This is Kel Bjorn once again, ready for this week's Stick Around episode. And today I'm speaking with Ashley Kessner. And Ashley, you're from, uh, is it Pennsylvania? Yes, the middle of Pennsylvania. It's basically the middle of a field. <laughs> <laughs> right on, all the way from Pennsylvania. Um, so after struggling for the majority of her life with alcohol use, depression, an eating disorder, self-harm, and even surviving a suicide attempt, Ashley started a blog called Ghost in My Bedroom in order to keep herself accountable to her sobriety after failing so many times on her own. Needless to say, it actually worked. She never could have imagined the impact her, quote, cynical, not clinical voice would have, not only helping her find herself, but thousands along the way. And because of that vulnerability, Ashley has discovered her voice and purpose to turn her mess into a message there's so many great lines here. We can put on <laughs> t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. Oh, don't worry. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and help others struggling with the same ghost that once haunted her. So welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm just to give everyone kind of a, a little backstory. Usually we chat for a little bit before these and I really appreciate Ashley and her honesty. Right when we hopped on, she was like, Hey, today has actually been a pretty rough day, like getting out of bed and being in one of those depressive states. And she didn't necessarily want to be on here. And I go through the same thing. We talked about that. And so sometimes you have to just kind of go for it and see how it goes. And so I appreciate that. I mean, not being your typical bubbly self, I'm sure you'll kind of portray yeah. that a little bit, but yeah. it's, it's good that you're able to, to come anyway. Oh yeah. I, I have no shame in sharing about it. You know, it's, I'm not my diagnosis. I'm not, I'm not what I have to go through, but it is what I have to live with. So, uh, I just try to do my best and I saw, you know, really the podcast is an opportunity to do one of my first steps when I do feel this way. And that's to get out of bed and at least get a shower. So it helped me do that. Yeah. Step one complete. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. I'm having a flashback to one of the guys I interviewed like, I don't know, last year sometime, his name was Dan Rowe and he's in, in England. And he talked about three good things and how every night he writes down three good things from the day. And he's like, man, in the beginning, it was that simple. Like, Hey, I got out of bed today. Hey, I took a shower today. Like those were his wins, you know, yeah. and sometimes that's, that's enough. It's gotta be it. Absolutely. I, I did the same in the beginning because when I was really struggling uh, before I had created ghosts in my bedroom, um, you know, there were just days that I would lie in bed and that's, it's tough. It's tough. And when you're, when you're, when you're getting through that, you know, you can't expect someone to just have their complete world together all of a sudden you, yeah. you have to start baby steps. It is like the sobriety too. Um, and compare it to that. It's a, it's a one day at a time venture. Yeah. Well, let's go kind of back in time and go through your journey here a little bit. When did you sure. start seeing signs of like real struggle, mental illness in your life? 
Yeah. So the first signs that I noticed, I was 12 years old. Wow. Um, I was 12. I went to my parents. I noticed that I would find myself just crying randomly and feeling just really down and sad and empty. And I couldn't explain why. Hmm. So I went to my parents and I told them and at that point, you know, I don't, I don't want to make my parents sound like bad people. Mental health awareness was nothing like what it is oh, now. Yeah. Um, so when I went to them, their response was, oh, you know, you're, you're just growing. You're just, you know, coming into your emotions. You're, you know, that's that type of thing. Yeah. So that's, that is when it officially started though. I was, I was 12 years old when I started to notice that I, I was a little different. Yeah. Jeez. So I guess going out through those high school years, which are just brutal for anybody. Ugh, um, yeah. But if you're, <laughs> yeah. If you're already at the age of 12, like already starting to feel this way. I mean, what kind of, did you end up seeking other help like outside of your parents along the way or how did that go? Um, so I just kind of lived with, with how I was, um, you know, through those earlier years. And, and I apologize because I, you know, have drank quite a bit, those brain cells, some of those brain cells might not be here with me anymore. Um, but, um, I had just kind of lived with it. And I remember going to my parents often, I would just sit and cry and they'd hug me and say, you know, you'll get through this. But at that point, you know, to diagnose a 12 year old or a 13 year old, that's, that's early. Um, that is kind of normal though. Now there are people that they experience it really young, but I, I went through and I had a great life. I had great parents. I had great upbringing. I was a bubbly person. That's just me naturally. I was a cheerleader, you know, good grades, everything, you know, your, your picture perfect life. But I, I was struggling with this on the side. And then I found myself, um, absorbed into an eating disorder that got very severe. And when my parents took me in to be treated for that was when, after diving into everything, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Oh, okay. And I was, I was 16 at the time. Wow. So how was that experience for you? I mean, I would think, you know, it's, especially at that age, I mean, you're so worried about fitting in and what other people think, and then you're, you know, submitted into a place to, for an eating disorder and then all these things going around, I would imagine that would be just brutal. Oh, I just, you know, I, I don't really think looking back now, I don't really think I knew what was going on. I didn't understand what this meant for my life. And no one really explained that to me either. I want to point that out too. No Hmm. one really explained to me what depression could potentially entail for me. And at 16 years old, you don't know what it means to be that explained and gave me some comfort explaining why I was sad sometimes for no reason. But like a lot of people at that point, I just assumed depression was just, you know, being a little sad sometimes. Yeah. It now, you know, doing my research and and fully accepting it and understanding myself and, um, it entails so much more and it's different for each person too. So that's something to keep in mind too. Well, I would think too, if you don't mind, I mean, the eating disorder part of it, I I would imagine it would almost like play off each other a little bit. Like was, 
Yes. Was just kind of the guilt feeling of, of, of going down that path, kind of contributing to the depression and all that kind of stuff. Well, so the eating disorder started just from a comment from a girl when I, I was a cheerleader and, oh, no. you know, I was, I was happy and content and I was a butterfly. I'm small guys. Like I'm really small. Like I'm five to 105 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, at this point in high school, I was a competition cheerleader. I was 130 pounds. I was stacked though, but you know, muscular, but I was, I was the butterfly, the person they put up in the air. And one of the girls had told me you're, she's getting too heavy to put up. And that escalated my mind. Oh well. And, and then it just dramatically, it dramatically took off. I started watching when I was eating all everything that I put in my mouth, excessive exercising, which eventually transitioned into bulimia. Yeah. Um, and then it was, you know, my parents discovering evidence and stuff of me doing it that they took me into the doctor. But looking back, I see the eating disorder as um probably, you know, they were feeding off each other. It's probably, I look at the eating disorder as kind of a, a coping mechanism for the depression Yeah. Um, because it is kind of, you know, those insecure feelings and lack of self-worth, but at the same time, an eating disorder is a completely different ball game. And, you know, I don't compare that whatsoever to something like depression or, or anxiety. It's, it's completely different. It's something that I still live with and, and I don't know if the doctor at the time should have told me this, but they were like, something you're always going to have. Oh. And I appreciate that honesty. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a slap in the face. Yeah. Jeez. So like, at what point in this time in your life were, were you starting to have like suicidal thoughts? So I think I've always, you know, struggled with suicidal ideations and I always point that out that there's a huge difference between suicidal ideations and being suicidal. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've struggled with suicidal ideations probably my whole life, uh, wondering what it would be like if I didn't live anymore. Yeah. Uh, when I was in depressive episodes, I'd, you know, always be thinking to myself, man, it'd be so much easier if I just didn't have to, didn't have to live, didn't have to do this constantly, the up and downs. Um, it wasn't until I was, I was 31. This is recently. It was just uh, September of 2019 that I attempted to take my life. Oh, wow. And um, I'm 33 now through this. Um, but it wasn't until then, you know, my drinking had escalated so severely. And on top of the drinking, I was self-harming too. And... My eating disorder was in full swing. I was purging a lot. Uh, I wasn't getting the release from the self-harm and the alcohol that I was looking for. And I knew all of it was just a mess and I couldn't see a way out. Mm. And I was, you know, my, my drinking was just causing issues with relationships in my life. And my daughter's father at that, you know, I was single mom. My daughter's father wasn't he couldn't trust me and rightfully so uh he had you know kind of taken her at that point yeah. and um it's when i was just like you know i i just want to save everyone from my path of destruction and you know although i had suicidal ideations for a really long time i was not suicidal up until that day wow and you know, I think everyone's different with that too. 
Um, I, I never made a plan until the day of, and, mm. and then I carried it out. So, and that's, what's scary about it. And yeah. That's what's, that's what's well, it's really... hard to know where that line is because, right. you know, if someone says, I've been thinking about suicide, like you said, I mean, a lot of people have ideation. So, I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. it's that uncommon for everyone to, at some point have that thought it'd be easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And people might be better off, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're like you said, suicidal making a plan. Right. I mean, you have just one day, like how, how do you catch that? I mean, it's, that's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really can. Well, you can't sometimes you can't, um, you can, you can do your best. And, and I feel that's, you know, why I do what I do is to, um, help people communicate with, with those who are, um, struggling with depression and stuff, because there are things that, you can say to help. I mean, at this point in my story, I'm just so thankful. I found out about peer support and I'm now a, um, trained crisis worker and a recovery and a recovery coach. It's what I do for a living, created my own company too. Um, but there are things that you can do to help. Um, and there are most certainly things that you should avoid. And that's what I, that's what I try to advocate for too. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, we'll dive into to the business and all that kind of stuff a little bit later. I am curious. So before we started recording, you mentioned that you had had, um, you know, friends or others close to you that had died by suicide in the past mm-hmm. um, and how, and we both were talking about, man, it can just kind of make you angry, like not knowing why and those kind of stuff and mm-hmm. having gone down that road yourself in an attempt. Yeah. I mean, what has that I don't even know what my question is. I'm just curious about that. Like, cause you can, you can lose someone to suicide mm-hmm. and be frustrated about it, but then get to the point yourself where you're not thinking other people are going to yeah. be mad at me if I do this, because this is, seems to be the only way out. Does right. that make sense? Yes. And I I'm reading your mind right now. I'm going to try to anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that people get frustrated with suicide is they think it's selfish. And I I could freaking rant about that for days. Um, It is most certainly not selfish. And 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 when someone's in that mindset, they are thinking selfless, uh, truthfully. They are thinking where I was. You know, I can't speak for everyone, but it's very common when someone chooses to go that route that they are are thinking, you know, I want to save my world from me. Hmm. Um, not, Not the other way around. So when people... When people say that's so selfish, how could they do that? Um, that that signals to me that that other person is not taking the time to really try and empathize with the situation fully, yeah. because you know the fact is they were in such a deep, dark place. They felt so alone and so unloved and so unworthy of life and another breath that they took theirs. And that is a very, very dark place. That is a place that I have been and and I, I still get emotional about it. My, my bladder's behind my eyeballs. I'm sorry. I get really passionate about this. Oh, no worries. But it's a, um, it's a deep, deep, dark place that your soul goes on another level. Um, and I always say, you know, I, I'm spiritual immensely, but that day that day that I chose to get out of bed and write the blog, 
that was, that was not me making that choice. You know, part of it was my choice, but, but that was something more than me guiding me out of bed. Mm. Um, and, and I also think that when I was suicidal, it was, it, it was the opposite kind of trying to pull me down. Um, and, and I'm just glad that it didn't, I'm glad that I'm glad that love won in that scenario. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm wondering in hindsight, um, some of the conversations I've had people that have survived a suicide attempt was right before whatever their plan was, was about to happen. There's, there's a, a little hinge of regret, like, oh no, I do want to live. Yeah. Others, you know, wake up in the hospital later or whatever, and are kind of disappointed that it didn't work. So I think, yeah. I think that's depending on the situation and maybe that's too personal for you. But how was no. that experience for you after the fact? Sure. I, I'm an open book about everything, honestly. Um, the more, the better. Vulnerability is my superpower, Cal. Um, nice. So, yeah, when I, when, I, when I tried to take my life, I was drunk out of my mind. Um, I did that for a reason. So, I, you know, just couldn't feel anything. And uh, I don't remember this, but I made a last-ditch effort and uh, reached out to someone. I said goodbye and they had called, uh, nine mm. which came to my house. And I don't really remember this too much, but, um, they found me and I, I woke up in the ICU and I remember my mom next to me. And I remember looking at her and being so upset. And I said, mom, just please let them have me die. I don't want to live anymore. And, um, you know, when I talk about this, I try to put myself in my mom's shoes. Cause that just has to be so, oh, yeah. so rough as a parent. Cause I'm a parent now myself and I couldn't imagine. Um, but you know, they didn't of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that's why I'm here now, but, uh, yeah. luckily I didn't have any damage and I, but yes, I did have that. I had a very, I was extremely discouraged that it didn't work out when I, when I came to. Wow. That is just so, uh, I, I, I don't want to say I love hearing these stories because you don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like love it's it, inspiring yes. <laughs> because I hope that people listen to this that are on the verge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm having those feelings. I don't want to be here. I don't feel like there's any hope of me getting past this or whatever. Right. And then, and even after the fact, you feeling like discouraged about it, but then the next part of your life that we'll dive into mm -hmm. is the proof that, and even days like today, you still have depressive times, but oh, yeah. the things that you're seeking after for that release, like you used to with alcohol or whatever it was that just wasn't actually giving you what you were looking for, right. it seems like you've kind of found some of those things in life that are giving you that release, that are giving you a purpose. So at what point after this, this episode in the hospital and whatnot, did you decide I need to be sober and I'm going to start this blog? Uh, yeah. So I had my, my depressive episode and I, um, I tried to take my life. I went into inpatient when I kind of discovered the big book in AA and I was like, this is when I got to admit I have a problem. Yeah. Um, 
And I knew I did. I knew I did at that time. I knew I needed to get sober for my daughter to be the mother that she deserves and for myself. But at that point, I couldn't see that it was for myself, but I, but I knew I had to do it. And that first week in inpatient, I was only in there for seven days, but it was the first seven days in a, in a row that I had been sober and I, I started to feel really great. But when I came out, I, I tried to do AA, you know, I thought that AA was the only way and yeah. I tried to do AA and where I'm from in my experience with AA was not a great one. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I keep my personal beliefs, but I share if people ask, but it just wasn't for me. And I had failed quite a few times on my own uh, to try to get sober. And so after I failed, probably for like the seventh time, I, I started to feel like failure and I started to be discouraged. And I was like, I just, I'm not going to be able to do this. And uh, that's when I was in the worst depressive episode of my lifetime and, and found myself in bed for two weeks straight and not eating and not bathing. Um, I remember specifically I had a friend come over and he had to drag me into the shower. I, I mean, it was, it was a very, very low time in my life. I went, I wasn't suicidal at that point though. That's the hmm. weird part. It was the worst depressive episode of my lifetime. I wasn't suicidal, but I was numb. I wow. was, I was apathetic. I just, I didn't care. I was just a, I was just a pile of skin and bones at that point. I, I don't even think I had a soul. Um, wow. And, and, you know, I started to contemplate again. Okay. Maybe I should just do, I either need to get sober or I need to try again one last time at ending this misery because I can't live like this. I can't, I can't be this mom to my daughter. She, she needs a mom, but you know, I don't want her to have a, a sad, depressed mom. And that's when something higher than me at least I say, I don't, I don't really explain it too much. Cause I still don't know. Um, told me to get out of bed and put it all into words, just get it out. Yeah. I had, I had started writing an inpatient in a journal and I knew I had a lot to say. So, um, that's when I started the blog and in order to keep myself accountable, I knew that I needed to tell everyone because I'm from a small town. So I figured if I told it, this is how my mind works anyways. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I figured if I told everyone, if someone saw me out at the bar, they'd call me out. And yeah. so that's what I was thinking about. Um, so I, I created the blog and I posted it admitting all of my flaws to my Facebook wall and reintroducing myself and said, hi, I'm Ashley and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I don't use labels anymore. I don't like that term, but that's, that's how the story goes down. Yeah. Um, and I was terrified and I expected a lot of crap, but it was the last thing I got. And I was pumped with so much love and support. And from that moment, um, my life has just my life, my life has just drastically changed. I have blogged through depressive episodes. I've blogged through breakups. I've blogged through death. I've blogged through whatever. And, you know, I've, I've been doing this only a year and mm. I have helped. I have seen through vulnerability just how powerful it is because I have found myself and I found my confidence. And I always say my badassery 
and you know, uh, just my, my true authentic self. And I have no shame in my story and I have no shame in who I am. And, um, I, I think at this point, I, last time I checked, it's been, it's been read by over 33,000 and it's, it's just continuing to grow. And it's, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's really, it's just really great. It's, it's just changed my life. And, and I love it. You know, it's not about fame for me though. It, this is purely about freedom. And I just hope that, you know, someone else that can read it can provide them some relief and hopefully start their next chapter. Yeah. So what made you think of ghost in my bedroom? As far so, as the, the title goes. Sure. Um, you know, ghost, uh, when I was laying there in bed, I felt kind of like a shell of a person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very just, just a shell, just nothing. I, I was a ghost of myself. I felt like, you know, I was on the verge of death. Um, ghost represents a variety of things, you know, just that, that old person, that old me. Um, it represents my addiction, my you know, struggles with alcohol represents my depression. It represents, you know, everything that I didn't want to show people. And that was how insecure I was, how, how I wasn't confident in, in myself or my voice at all. I mean, you would talk to me this time last year, I was a completely different person. Hmm. And, and it's, and it's really funny because people say that too. They're like, to watch you transition was such a, it's, it's just such a, a, a crazy thing to watch, yeah. <laughs> but well, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> Cause you go from having thoughts of there's no way I'm yeah. going to beat this. Like mm-hmm. it's just impossible. Yeah. And then you talk about vulnerability. I feel like that is the key because yep. then other people can see that too. that are having that same thought. Like there's no mm-hmm. way out of this. Like I'm totally stuck. This is who I am. I'm going to be labeled as this for yeah. the rest of my life. But then you read about someone like you where it's like, no, like she was able to do this and it's, it's yeah. only been a year. I mean, that's yeah. not that long. Listen, I went from an alcoholic depressed in bed to CEO of a company in a year. It's possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. So to finish, cause I don't think I finished that, but ghost represents all of that, my past self. And then uh, in my bedroom was because in my, I was in my bedroom where I spent the majority of my time at my worst. Yeah. And that's, that's how I came up with that. Um, and you know, it's, it just kind of all fell together, I guess for long, I'll tell you a funny, I don't really tell people this so you <laughs> inside insider. So when I came up with the title and I said, ghost in my bedroom, a transparent story of recovery, I was thinking transparent, you know, vulnerable. And so it wasn't like two, it was only like, it was probably three months in. I went, wow, this really goes together. Transparent, like a ghost. Transparent, like a ghost. Oh, (laughs) this works. Um, It was so meant to be. It was, it it really, I genuinely believe um, that it was all meant to be. and And it was kind of funny because it wasn't until I got sober on the brink of a global pandemic, you know, and and it was it was a time that people were stuck inside and and on the internet a lot and yeah ironically that's when my blog was discovered and so i really believe that all of the things happening in my life are are happening for a reason yeah absolutely and i'm totally i'm right there with you i mean i'm i'm a believer in a higher higher being and kind of a, a higher purpose and all that 
And it's, it's, it is amazing to look back at some of those moments. Um, It's interesting too, because it's almost like an opposite of a lot of people are struggling more in the last year because of the pandemic and being quarantined a lot of stuff. And and you've been kind of able to flip it around and be doing better. I'm over here. Like, what are you, what are you talking about guys? This is just life for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now you understand. (laughs) Now you understand the isolation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is what you get. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But it's crazy. I mean, it is kind of just life and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thriving over here to be honest. So, and I believe that, I believe that I was meant to find my happy when I did for a reason. And, you know, when the whole world seems to be burning down, um, I I'm opening my arms and my doors to anyone and everyone. And I've had so many people take me up on that. And that makes me feel good that people know that they feel comfortable to come to me and, and talk about stuff. I've had, I've had quite a few on the ledge that were on the verge of putting those thoughts into a plan and they came to me and um, it's just such a beautiful thing to watch that spark come into their eye for a better tomorrow. And, and that's literally what, what drives and motivates me now. Yeah. It's like, you're not doing this, to be selfish for that spark, but it's definitely part of it. You know what I mean? Like, because you're able to do all these things, like that's what keeps you going. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I, and I would share this with you before that, like the more I open up about things that I've dealt with, like the better I feel because you're sharing that with other people, you lift other people up and then you can't help but be lifted yourself as well. It's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Like right now I, I have felt my, just as, as we were talking and I was hoping that this would happen during this, um, I have felt my mood start to come back. And, and actually I think this might be the quickest I've been able to kick myself out of an episode. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably, you'll probably see a dramatic difference and it. And it's weird because I'm very self-aware and I, people that talk to me can, that know me very well, they can tell a dramatic difference and and when I'm in one and when I'm out. And, and so this is helping immensely. And I, I'm starting to feel like myself again. And I'm like, yes, I love it. (laughs) That's right. You just need to podcast more, but you started one, didn't you? I did. Yes. Um, so when I started all of my stuff, you know, what I found out really was that memeing is one of my biggest coping mechanisms and I love memes and self-deprecating jokes are like my thing. (laughs) Um, so it really, it really is. And so I was posting a lot of memes and I realized, you know, this, this stuff is just too serious. Uh, people can't relate. And, you know, the more I realized that, you know, when you can make people laugh, they're more inclined to open up about what they're going through and it, and it really works. And it's why I take the route that I do. And that's with love or or I call it really the three ages, humor, hope, and happy. And, and it, and it really does. It, it makes it relatable. It makes it personal. And I just believe the more you can make people laugh, it's better than making them cry. So, yeah. So your podcast is called Cynical, Not Clinical, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, you. Do you do you interview anybody on that one or is it just kind of you and your own thoughts and all that kind of so stuff? So I just started this. So it's brand new. There's right. only two episodes now and I just record when I'm feeling frisky. Um, 
but I do plan to, I do plan to interview people. I actually have a whole list of people that are, are ready to come on board. And, um, I just want to give, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I, a lot of people that I've connected with through this have agreed to come on board and, and get a little uncomfortable with me. So uh, I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Right on. Maybe you should start an episode when you're feeling down and see how fast you can turn it around. That's that's seriously what has become for me. Like when I get in a depressive episode, I get mad and I'm like, okay, how do I level this up? How do I, I'm going to make this a challenge. My last one, the fastest I got out of one, it was, it was fastest I've got out in one is probably like four hours. So this might be the quickest. So this is (laughs) is good. Well, I'm just thinking about like your blog, you know, where that was kind of a release for you. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of another outlet that could be kind of a good thing for you. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So thank you. You just like, you, you made my yes. whole night. <laughs> Score right gold on. star on your chart today. <laughs> All right. I'll put it on my wall. Good stuff. <laughs> well, so looking back now um, with this journey, I mean, it, there's kind of like two main focuses. I mean, maybe the teenage years with some of the struggles there and mm-hmm. and then not until a couple of years ago when you, you kind of hit the lowest of the lows, like what would you say to your younger self that was kind of on the verge and leading into a suicidal plan, um, feeling like that was the only option for relief from your struggles. Like, what do you tell that person now, knowing what you know now? Um, you know, as I've, as I've kind of talked with a lot of different people that have gotten to that place that feel like it's the only option. I, I just get real with them. Generally, when someone tells you that people, people start to back away and they start to get a little anxious about it. Cause they're like, yeah. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then, you know, them go more towards the ledge, but right. actually it's actually the opposite. The more you can engage someone about what they're feeling or about mm. their plans, the less likely they will be to put them into place. Um, yeah. and so generally what I do is, um, I just, say, I asked them respectfully first, you know, can, can we talk about this a little bit more? I'd really love to share my experience. And that's when I open up about my life and I, and I share what I went through and, um, you know, what I have to do continually on a daily basis when I, when I get into a depressive episode. And it's basically to remind myself that those irrational thoughts are not me. They're, they're not me. I know now when I start to have any sort of worthless feelings or insecurity, I mean, there's the natural stuff, of course, but when I start to feel any worthlessness, I, I know that I'm about to head into, head into one and I'm prepared for it. Now I'm equipped to deal with it. And it really comes down to self-awareness. And so when I feel that way, it is irrational thoughts and I know they're not me. And that's why I keep going because I know that there is, you know, that happy that's on the other side because I've been there and I felt it. And that's, that's, what's really worth it. But if I could go back and, you know, kind of look at myself and give any sort of advice, I would say, do my research. Um, my, my depression stems, honestly, it came from my dad's side and that was not discussed with me for very, 
uh, at all, really, um, hmm. till later in life. And, you know, I think you had a similar situation, but yeah. I found out my dad, you know, has depression too, and has, he had been medicating and I didn't find this out until later in life, um, what he was struggling with. And also I think, you know, the genetic factor when it comes to alcoholism, because that ran in my family yeah. and that can be genetic too. So, um, just to be aware of what could potentially happen with you based on your family, I think is that is extremely crucial. It's extremely yeah. important to know where you're coming from. So I'd say that. Yeah, that's great insight. Yeah, we kind of related with that before we yeah. started recording that, you know, I didn't find out until later too, which now makes me think, and that's part of the reason why I've been doing this is mm -hmm. I've got four kids. <laughs> and my wife and I both have been through depressive times in our lives. So like, I guarantee you at least half of those kids are going <laughs> to struggle with this kind of stuff. So I don't mean like, to laugh. It's just, I love it. I, your, I, know, I but love it's, your, it's just like, God, it's crap. So matter of fact, like, <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, I know. Just... I think about that all the time because <laughs> I'm like, you know, my daughter's only three and although, you know, I'm not with her dad or anything, but we co-parent really well together. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, Grant, you know, just so you know, probably, just so you know, this is what she's heading into. Yeah. Um, so when she cries and then she'll laugh right afterwards, <laughs> I'm like, just like her mom, just <laughs> like her mom. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I mean, definitely. I mean, having to go through what you've gone through, I'd imagine like when she's getting older, like you'd be a lot more open about like, Hey, here's, here's what I learned through all this rather than just, you're just growing, you know, yeah. emotions oh, are going to happen. I'm yeah, I know. I know some people disagree with it, but I'm, I'm open with her now. She's, she's a really smart cookie. She's almost four. Um, there are some evenings where it'll just hit me and I'll start to cry and I'll just tell her and she'll say, mommy, what's wrong? And I say, mommy, mommy's just a little sad right now. You know, it's okay. Mommy's just having some emotions and, and she'll give me a hug and she'll say, it's okay. And, you know, generally yeah. that, that pretty much helps. I don't go into details when they're that young, yeah. but, um, but when she gets to an age where she certainly understands, especially in the adolescent years, when she's developing her own emotions and going through that time, I think it's really crucial to have sit, that sit down conversation with your kids and at least, at least introduce it to them right. and what it could potentially be. And then later in life, you know, a little later when, when they're older, um, yeah to really open up and disclose your story. But at my, right now, my story is out for the world. So she'll learn earlier than <laughs> I want her to. Yeah. Some of her friends will come across your blog, but like your mom, I know all about her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, I, man, I really just appreciate your openness and your story. It's, it really is so inspiring. I love these kind of conversations because I, I do feel like our generation has kind of made a little bit of a shift of being more aware and like uh -huh. open to like teaching our kids and about mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. Because for us growing up, it was just kind of like, you don't talk about your feelings. I grew up with only brothers. So it's like, yeah. you don't talk about <laughs> oh, any of no. that kind of stuff <laughs> at all. Yeah. But now, I mean, you know, me and my other brother that I know has been in and out of medications himself. Like we have open conversations about like, what are you doing lately? You know, and that's been very helpful. So it's, it's cool to see a little bit of a shift there. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, like, you know, as a millennial, I've seen, I've seen such just a giant shift in mental health awareness in my lifetime. And 
I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, I live and breathe this. I always say I've become addicted to recovery. <laughs> um, so, but I, you know, getting on different platforms and stuff like that, you know, on TikTok it, of all places, it's really, it's really interesting because Generation Z, that's the one below us, right? Or below no me. <laughs> um, so Generation Z, so the generation below us is even more open about their mental health. Yeah. And they're like, they're like posting videos, like just got out of the mental Institute and they're like really pumped about it. And I'm just yeah. like, I love this. This is so <laughs> me. Um, yeah. That's how I am about mine. I'm very open when I have down days. I I'm on all my networks every day. Um, I have had people, you know, it's a lot of pressure, but I have had people that say, you know, for sobriety purposes and, and for accountability, I, I look for your posts every single day. And you know, that, wow that's purpose right there, you know, yeah. for me. Um, but you know, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. I just love being real and raw and, um, just showing people that it is okay to be you because that's where all your power is, is, is being your true authentic self. That is your power. Yeah. And once you tap into that and once you, you know, accept that you can't please everyone that's okay. And you just roll with whatever, you know, is, is going to make you happy. Your life dramatically changes. And that's, that's what I work with people on now for a living. And I couldn't have it any other way. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited for you. I mean, it's, it's only yeah. been kind of like a year in, but I mean, you're going places with this because there's so much passion behind it. There's, um, yeah. I, I just started my book and, um, uh, it's, it's just really taken off. I, I've really blown up on LinkedIn cause I'm just ruining their professionalism over there. Um, <laughs> but people really love it. So that's, that's a good thing. I'm just real and me across across the board. Yeah. And, and I think when people sit down with me, they go, wow, you know, like she's not kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's the real deal. <laughs> it's the real well, deal. So you're, you're working on a book. You just started a podcast. You've got your blog. You're all over social media. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do like to ask my guests before we go is like, what is another great resource that you love to share with people outside of your own work? Of course, Absolutely. is it like another podcast or a book that you love or something like yes. that? Oh, quite a few, quite a few. Um, so one of my, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two, I'm going to give you a bonus. Um, so one of my favorite things that I do every single day is an affirmator. As soon as I wake up, um, affirmators or affirmations. Um, one of my favorites is from knockknockstuff.com. I don't get anything for that. I wish I did by the way, but, um, mm. they're from knockknockstuff.com. They're called affirmators. It is like basically the self-help without the self-helpiness. Um, it's really, they're really funny. They're really unique and, and really fun. So yeah. I use those every day. And then one of my, um, daily life guides is, a uh, book, all of her books actually by uh, Jen Sincero. Um, her her first book, "You Are a Badass," changed my life, and hmm. I tell everyone to read it. And anything by Mark Manson too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Right on. Well, we'll put some links in the show notes for this, and people can find out where you're at and some of those resources as well. And. Wow. I don't even know how to end this. It's been so great. I mean, like you said in the beginning, it was kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go, but <laughs> it turns out to be a great thing. So I know <laughs> good stuff. I appreciate it. 
It is beautiful. Keep doing what you're I, I doing. Love, you're, you're helping people love, out in a great way. Yeah, I love to just feel this, and this is amazing. Hey, thank you again for listening in today. If you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text HOME to 741-741. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.